0: hey everybody welcome back to the uh sandy leone Fancast. i'm justin and this is willie hood and this is uh breaking news we're gonna we're gonna dive in for about an hour on the cleveland guardians uh, signing catcher sandy leone to my league deal bringing him home willie are you excited about the return of the league leader in catcher's interference.
1: Justin, what can I say, man? I am thrilled. You know, I've been smacking the table saying they have to go and get a catcher. And today they went out and they filled the need by bringing in Leon. You know, I saw on Twitter, so it has to be legit, that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame after a two-for-four performance at Fenway against the Yankees. Like, dude, I'm thrilled that the Yankees, or that the Guardians were able to get him away from a team like the Yankees and the Dodgers, all these big spending clubs, and here we have Sandy Leone. I mean, I can't believe that they made this deal. I'm super excited, Justin, man. I, I don't know what you've been thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I saw those catchers fly off the board this this winter. You know, Manny Pina and uh, Pedro Severino and, and Elias Diaz got a, a contract extension with the, the Rockies. I didn't want those guys. I thought Sandy Leone's the guy they got to bring back because um, he's really going to limit all the extra base hits the pitchers give up because. You can't get a double or a home run when it's catcher's interference. You know, you can only take first base. So that's gonna really cut down on the number of extra base hits they allow, which which should be a real big benefit for the pitching staff. So
1: you know, uh, there's definitely gonna need that. There's teams that they used to call base cloggers. Well, Leon is <laughs> that on the opposite side. He clogs the bases. And, you know, if the pitcher gives up a hit, it's gonna be a ground ball, they can throw it in the infield, hope for a double play and get outs that way. I mean, it might actually exactly. save pitches. We may get like Plesak and Savali and Bieber out of an inning in just five or six pitches.
0: You know what? It's kind of like when Bob Whitman used to balk the guy on second to third base intentionally so he couldn't steal signs. This is the same thing. You know, you just, you're just just knocking him down to first base uh, on catcher's interference so you can get a ground ball double play and get two outs with like three pitches. It's It's common sense. It's very economical. And, you know, they want to... They want to save Bieber's arm. They want to save Savali's arm. I think it makes perfect sense. This is uh This this is state of the art ahead of the game. They are out thinking everyone with this sign This this is this is four D chess. Everybody else is playing checkers and the Guardians are playing four D chess by signing Sandy Leone. Okay, well that's all the time we have today. Thank you for listening to the, the Sandy Leone fancast. No, okay. I think we've gone with a bit long enough. <laughs> um Sandy Leone, that's not a joke, he is back, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that's not going to be the only catching move they make. I can't imagine we'll see Sandy Leone and Austin Hedges all year because that would be a disaster, both offensively and defensively, whenever Sandy Leone does play. But, you know, I got all excited last week for all the 40-man moves on Friday. Like, I think all week we were talking about it, and it took, like, what, the deadline was 6 o'clock Friday, right? Right. And it was like what six thirty, and we're sitting there talking. Like, okay, the Indians are, the the Guardians have not um, have not announced their moves. They were like the last team to announce who they were keeping. of course, that's because they were trading for somebody. But you know, leave it to them. The one thing that we can anticipate this week and all off season was was these forty man moves, and they waited till the, like the latest they possibly could to announce it, which is. Very typical for this franchise, I guess.
1: Well, like I said, it'd be 7 or 8 o'clock before we heard any news. And that would be with a minor deal or two. And I didn't expect them to actually bring somebody in like Tobias Myers. Um, I I expected some of the moves like they made today dealing Mejia and with um, Harold being sent to Chicago. Those were the type of moves I was expecting last week. Uh, Good to see them get a little bit of value out of those guys too, by the way.
0: Yeah, they traded for cash for one of them, and I guess that makes them cheap, right? Because someone asked me, um, are the Guardians the only team that trades players for cash? It seems like wealthy teams don't do this. No, everybody trades players for cash. I think uh, somebody did today. I forget what other team it was, but literally someone today traded someone for cash. Like, it happens uh, the every time.
1: The Giants traded Jay Jackson
0: uh-huh. to okay. the Atlanta the Braves for True. cash. Right. The Giants are have one of the highest payrolls in baseball, or at least top 10. Yeah, so everybody does it. Everybody does it. So we're not going to waste a lot of time on... on We've got a lot of questions tonight, so I would like to, get, like to get all those questions and break some of the moves down. But, you know, George Valera, Brian Rocchio, Brian Lavastida, Cody Morris, um, all those guys were, were pretty much guaranteed adds to the roster. I think <clears throat> for us, it came down to you know, Noel and Tana, and then maybe Quan, but I think we expected nine nine of those guys that, that got protected. We expected it was probably the final two or three that were um, unexpected. So do you want to start with uh, Myers or do you want to start with Noel and, and Tana?
1: You know, I'll, I'll start with Noel and, and Tana. You did more analysis on Myers than I did. And I'll comment on him as well. Um, I think you're starting the clock on a premium hitter with Noel Noel um, and Tana. Good to see Tana, by the way, win the minor league gold glove last week, which we mentioned, but also for him to win the batting title out in Arizona. Impressive for such a young player. And he wasn't getting quite the at-bats that some of these other players were. Um, Noel is a guy that's a little bit further away, obviously, but who apparently can hit the heck out of the ball, you know, with a couple of shots that were almost 500 feet. I really felt like the Guardians were protecting the best players that they had available, so to speak. Not a shot at Cantillo. i I do believe in his abilities, and I think he would have been rostered had he been healthy. Unfortunately, he was not. And you know, I really hit on that for the last week or so saying that Cantillo is a guy that they would probably risk just because he has missed nearly two years at this point in time.
0: Yeah, that was the only kind of surprise there. And and I know that he became someone who was going to be on the fence of the roster. I thought they would protect him just because I think he's a good bet to be drafted in the Rule 5 draft. Like, to me, you know, Cantillo is still very projectable. He's still young. He's got a, a lot of a projection left in his frame. He was thrown up to 94 when he came back off the injury this year. Um, he still has that good, good changeup there's still room to improve the curveball, and he had like a slider cutter so there's still, you know, a lot of upside to be had in that arm. And, you know, six foot four left handers who <clears throat> throw like he does just don't really grow on trees. So I thought, you know, because it's an obvious rule five pick, they would just keep him. But I, I don't, I don't, I wonder if it came down to like Noel and, and him, or if it was like, you know, if we add Myers, we'll add him, and we'll add Noel, and we'll leave off Cantillo. I don't I don't know that – I'm wondering what the odds are of both Adam Scott and Joey Cantillo being taken, because to me, those are two guys I think that could easily go, the most two obvious ones in the Rule 5 draft. I suppose like, a, you know, Jose Fermin or Oscar Gonzalez could go, but – um, those are the two guys that stand out to me as as guys that will be taken if anybody gets taken, or I guess Aaron Pinto, but um, those two sit at the top for me. So they didn't, they didn't protect either of them. Um, obviously they must really like <clears throat> Myers because they ended up trading for him and keeping him or on the, on the 40 man because he had to be added um, or exposed to the rule five draft. So going out and trading for someone like that clearly says a lot about what you think of them, but You make a good point, and I wrote about this too, um, over the weekend, which you can still check out up at the website, guardiansbaseballinsider.com. If you haven't been there, we are fully switched over to the new name, and we are on Twitter at uh, official underscore gcbi. I I'm sorry, C-G-B-I now. It's still taking some time to get used to all this, really. Um, Yeah, I I think it's interesting that Noel is – What, probably three years away. He's a, I mean, I know he's got a good hit tool for being a a big power guy, but at best, he's probably three years away and that takes away what, three of his options? And Jose Tana might move a little bit faster, but you're, you're at least going to burn probably two options on, on, on Kenzie Noel. And he might come up his, he might make his debut with one option left. So that's not a lot of time to kind of, move him around if you need to. That's why I thought it was so interesting they added him, and I didn't think they would, but, you know, they obviously weren't going to risk it. They added the talent they t- they they liked, and <clears throat> it also sets them up for trades the rest of the of the winter, whenever they're allowed to make trades. They can make trades up until next week until, <clears throat> excuse me, they, you know, run into the lockout whenever that happens. You know, if they didn't roster these guys like Tana and Noel, um, they they could trade them but it wouldn't have been very advantageous because the team they were trading them to couldn't protect them so if the if the guardians kept them now on the on the 40man roster they can still trade them to other teams and they can other team can protect them and you can get more back so i think to me that's i kind of think is the setup here is the more guys you add um that you maybe want to trade the more valuable they are because you know they can't really trade oscar gonzalez or Joey cantillo for much right now because the other team can't protect him so I think that played a lot into it
1: and, and I don't think either of those two have immense trade value to be honest with you. I know Oscar Gonzalez hit 31 home runs last year. it's impressive. I know he's 23 years old and I also know that he's kind of like a tree out in the outfield um he does have a good arm and power obviously, but he's not going to draw a lot of walks. he's a limited dh a guy that I've said is going to have a career similar to Domingo Santana. Um, I, I think the key to all of this is kind of what you alluded to. It feels like they were setting up um, deals at a later time, guys that they can move in, in packages, and that a team like maybe Oakland or a team that is rebuilding could take these guys on, and or even just a team that's very – Baron in the farm system um, could take some of these guys on, and wouldn't mind as much as Cleveland does with the depth that Cleveland has in the middle infield. And with Cleveland yeah, I, looking to be, a, you know, a, a competitive team right away, somebody that isn't competitive, they may let uh, Young Kenzie Noel in a, in a year or two. They may let him um, work through all of the issues that he'll run into it, you know, as a young hitter.
0: I mean, they don't really have a ton of first base prospects. I know some people think he can play third and, you know, he's fine third base for now, but he's going to keep growing and he already lacks the quickness there. That's going to be required long-term. So, excuse me. He is not going to play third base long-term, which is why I didn't, geez, why I didn't think he was going to be able to be taken in the rule five draft, but, um, yeah, they don't really have a lot of first-base prospects on the roster. I mean, they have pretty much refused to move Nolan Jones over there. Bobby Bradley looks like he's going to have, you know, full run at first base unless they make some other kind of move at this point. The other guy in the system is, is um, you know, Joe Naranjo, who was one of the youngest players at high A this year and had his struggle. So, I mean, Junior San Quentin uh, – <laughs> I'm trying to think who else plays first base. Really, no, that's really about it. So, yeah. I mean, those guys, and those guys really are are either not prospects, they're far away. So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense not to take the risk to lose him. But, yeah, like I said, just the fact that you're starting the, the time clock on him as far as options are concerned. Like, okay, he's not going to be part of your team next year. That's one option down. Uh, it, it would take a lot of things to go right for him to be on the roster in 2023 but I'm thinking more 2024 and that's his last option here. I have no idea what about Jose Tana because um there's so many middle infielders to soar through maybe he gets traded I don't know maybe that's why they added him because then they can go out and trade him but like you and I talked about before I think that the apex of his trade value is is probably next summer it's not now I feel like if you, I mean, I know he, he's probably built some value this year, but I feel like next year he'd have more value because he starts the year at Akron. And if he has a great year at Akron, it's only going to boost his his value. And I'd hate to see him do it now, but if they can make a move where they can add somebody to the major league roster and, and condense some of these spots, they absolutely should do it. But um, even, I, like I said, I...
1: Even if Tana comes in and, and has a average-ish season next year, I think you're still looking at a guy with a lot of value just because of his performance at level, um, being so young for double He's going to be 21. Yeah, exactly. He'll be two, three years younger than league average. A lot of teams would look at that, and as Long and Hagen pointed out, there's a lot of teams who are becoming similar-minded to Cleveland in, in their development and their trade paths. Um, I, I think there would be a lot of teams that would value that age for level including Cleveland. And that's part of the reason, you know, they've
0: acquired players in the past age for level. I would say that like, yeah, Tana is a prime trade candidate, him or Richie Palacios, depending on how they want to play things like Palacios to me is probably just an outfielder at this point because of all the other middle middle infield depth they have that you're better off just playing them in the outfield because you have, that's one way to kind of clear some of these spots up. But um the funny thing is, I don't I don't think Noel is a trade like a trade asset right now because um he's just he is just far away and they don't really have any other first base prospects. So if you're gonna go ahead and add him, you're hoping that he is like, you know, a long-term middle of the order first baseman going forward. I don't think you add him to trade him because it's not like you have a lot else in the system like him. So if you felt like he was potentially gonna get drafted and you really like his future. I don't see why you would add him just to trade him at this point, unless you go out and you find somebody in a trade. That's a long-term answer or, you know, like a Matt Olson, I guess, but I still don't see that, that happening. And, as, much yeah, as I would unless, enjoy that.
1: unless you feel like that's going to be a long-term piece that you're bringing in and you felt like you were pretty close on a deal. Um, you yeah. feel like there's something that can get you through uh, or, or rather that you can get through at a later point in time, because we, we both have said the the trade market and the position player market has barely gotten established yet. You look and see the giants making a signing and rumored to make a couple of signings this week and pitching market has really been established, but the market for hitters has not. And the trade market other than Tucker Barnhart, okay, I guess Cleveland probably got a hundred thousand dollars today for Harold Ramirez. Um, and I may be being generous on that, but you know, other than that, there's not been any, sizable trades or, no, you know, really impact bats or anything like that to come off of other than if you can call Manny Pina, uh, an impact bat, which he's not, you know, other than that, there's not really been any position players to come off of the market yet.
0: Well, that's because everyone's waiting to see what the shortstops do probably. And that's going to wind up being a. an after the CBA, I don't know what I supposedly one of them might sign before the CBA expires just to get it done, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, so Tana's added, Noel's added. We both thought that Tana was going to be added at the, by the end. And then we were both kind of on the fence with Noel. You thought he might get taken and I thought they wouldn't add him. And I wasn't really that worried, but they decided to go that way. And then Myers, like I mentioned just before to, to go out and and when you're facing a situation like they were with Cleveland was with all these players, I mean, they added 11 players and he was one of them, but, They had obviously a bunch more we just talked about that they didn't add, but to go out and trade for somebody else's player that needed to be added. And that clearly says how they feel about Myers. And um, I definitely, I'm going to plug your
1: piece since you didn't, but check out (laughs) Justin's piece on Twitter and the piece that he has on the site today because it's a good breakdown. Justin and I actually talked about Myers a little bit afterwards. Um, I think you like his change up a little bit less than me and I'm just average on the change. I like his control a little bit better than you do, basically because I'm a numbers oriented guy. I look at the command control and I look at the, look at the strikeout and walk rates. Um, but you and I both really like his curveball. You think he's a, maybe a setup man. I think he could potentially be a fifth starter. Um, I'll go with a starter upside for now. Uh, and Hope that he is at, at least a setup man.
0: I mean, I, I think he can start. I think he has enough pitches to start right now. He's um, athletic enough for repeat his delivery, and he um, he does have enough control. I mean, I, I to me, I think the control is just average, and the command's fringe average. I think he he still has some room to improve there, and I think Cleveland will get him there. There was some issue with uh, um, some irregularities in his plant foot, so I think Cleveland can get him there. But as you know, the one trait that he has they love, or the two traits are <clears throat> that over-the-top arm slot that creates that backspending fastball that has a lot of vertical movement to it and the curveball right off of it. That's two things they have identified a lot of in the last, I don't know, five, four or five years. Like starting with James Karinczak and it's boiled all the way down to the minors where you have Xavier uh, Curry and like a guy they drafted this year like Aaron Davenport and Doug Nikhazy and Will Dion. All throw out of that high arm slot and have a a fastball that you know does. They don't throw above ninety five, but they they spin it well and it has a lot of vertical movement, which is good. Um, or I guess it doesn't die. It, it's it, it looks like it rises instead of dropping like most fastballs, and that's why they like James Kearncheck, and they've applied that to a lot of other pitchers because I think it's it's kind of combating guys that are trying to hit more home runs. You see a lot of guys with, with steeper back paths and attack angles. So they're swinging lower and trying to get the ball in the air. When you have a backspinning fastball that, that rises up in the zone instead of dropping um, or doesn't drop as much as a, a typical fastball. It's harder to get it up in the air. You kind of have to have like a flat barrel angle to it. Like you have to have a flat bat path to get there. And that's hard to do. And uh, it's something a lot more teams are starting to appreciate like Cleveland is, but it's not very easy to find those guys, and it's not easy to teach that. So that's why a lot of teams are going this way, and it's no surprise they went to Tampa to find it because uh, Myers and I think Peyton Battenfield have a lot of similarities in terms mm-hmm. of <clears throat> fastball spin and command and um, just the vertical movement on the fastball. So those are two guys. I, I kind of like Battenfield to start more because of his size, and Absolutely. I think there's a lot more in a tank. I, I just think that I think Myers is maxed out. Velocity-wise, as a starter, you know he's kind of 91 to, to 94. He gets to 96, but I think in the bullpen you can easily see him getting you know to anywhere from 93 to 98 with that fastball. And think of think of the how much better that fastball is going to play with a couple extra miles an hour in short stints. And you're going to add that to the curveball because I think the curveball needs more velocity to be a little bit tighter. Um, but I mean, he ha- he has the arsenal. I-, I like the cutter. I think the cutter has a lot of good traits. The changeup has, has some room to grow. I think really, I mean, even if you think it's better than I do, I still think even then, if you give it a higher grade, I still think he has a, has room to make it better. So yeah, he could, he could be a back of the rotation type starter with all that. But I think that what, because of how the pitching depth is in the system, is he going to be more valuable as like your, you know, your, Eighth, because think about it. okay, Eli Morgan is your first guy up from the uh, Columbus this year, and then you've got you've got Battenfield and Pilkington and Cody Morris and Logan T Allen and Davion Curry, maybe, yeah, and say well yeah, I think he's going to be an Akron, but because Myers is on the roster, he'd be the next guy. So you might have you might have a whole rotation in Columbus you can call up at any time. Would Myers be more impactful to the team as a reliever than the tenth guy? On your starting,
1: you know, depth.
0: Like, so we
1: talked about making additions because we feel like we could make trades, so to speak. Um, What if they brought in more starting pitching depth? And this is something that they clearly saw at the trade deadline, bringing in Battenfield and um, and Pilkington. Now bringing in Myers. Obviously, they've focused on bringing in high level starting pitching depth. Clearly they need it because of the uh, injuries. And by the way, I think we forgot Eli Morgan. Um, Yeah. Which is easy to do, but that's kind of the point of what I'm saying is you have so many guys, some of them which are very similar in in action and delivery and, you know, when you have this amount of depth, are you creating more opportunities for a trade later on? So what if you bring in Tobias Myers because you feel like you can trade or that you can put together a package of starting pitcher or a a package, including a starting pitcher and maybe a young shortstop or an outfielder or something like that. And yes, Cleveland does have some outfielders on their roster that they can trade Steven Kwan and Richie Palacios. Um, But I think that what they have done is really given themselves a number of options with starting pitching depth with the shortstop depth that they have. This team is really focused on creating options and I think a lot of it has to do with the ability to trade later on.
0: I tried to get Chris Anthony to give an answer about what they would do about all these infielders. And he didn't, of course, you know, he gave me the um, the democratic answer of, well, we like having all these options at all these positions. You'll never hear us complain about middle infield depth. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to find room to get all these guys at bats at different positions and, add versatility. I was like, you know, I was like, you know, you added Rocchio, you added Freeman, you added Tana. All these guys are natural shortstops. What are you, what are you going to do um, when you have all those guys and you have, you know, Gabriel Arias and, and Amed Rosario and Ernie Clement and. Um, Andres Jimenez. And that's what he said. He goes, well, well, you know, well, will get all these guys versatility and you'll never hear us complain. I'm like, I thought maybe he'd like tip to see what they might be thinking as far as moving some of these guys to different positions or maybe a trade, but no, he gave me the the democratic answer and I'm not surprised he did that, but he made a great um, politician. Yeah, definitely. I think we said that the last podcast, <laughs> he'd make a good politician and he, he absolutely would. And then next year, Hey, next year they got to add uh, another guy you like and Angel Martinez to the roster. So it's just going to get, even more interesting. Um, yeah. I feel yeah. like there's at least
1: six or seven guys off of the list that I saw on the internet the other day. Um, and then even with that, there are some holdovers or guys like Joey Cantillo, uh, Adam, yeah, Scott, through, yeah. Jose Fermin, Oscar Gonzalez, guys like that, that could potentially see time in Cleveland if they're not selected in the rule five draft or, or if they're not traded at a later point, you know, there's so much yeah. depth there that the, there's guys that could end up contributing to this team that we're not even looking at for next year. But there's potentially another ten player turnover coming. But where are they going to get all these guys? You know, where are they going to put all these? Guys? <laughs> uh, you,
0: you can't. Nobody has any idea. No. Um, I mean, for the record, I don't. I I've kind of cool, I thought for sure ask Gonzalez is as somebody that would get taken, and maybe he still should. But I kind of, I kind of feel like he won't because. You Know teams were still trying to figure out who they're going to add a week ago, right? They were still working through that, so nobody wanted to sign Gonzalez. And um, that was part of it. But the, if you add you a don't money to the waters,
1: yeah, if you add the DH to the NL, um, after the lockout is concluded, maybe he has value. And <laughs> a lot of it depends on when the Roll Five draft actually takes place. Does it still take place in December? Maybe, um, does it take right at some point after a lockout? Possibly. Is it canceled all altogether? I hope so. Um, maybe that's. Probably- no, no, the
0: Rule 5 draft is fun. Don't say that. I know it's not good. You don't want to lose players. I'm Come being selfish,
1: what? Justin. I don't want to lose
0: Joey Cantillo, it's- and I don't want to lose Adam Scott, man. I mean, that's what it really comes yeah. down to. And you know, I but like I, I, I do like for me too. I, I don't think Gonzalez is going to go just because, look, a week ago, anybody could have signed him for, for a minor league deal for nothing. They would have had no stipulations. They could have signed him, they could have invited him to spring training. And that would have been it. they wouldn't have had to worry about keeping him in the majors all year. If they had the opportunity to do that, why didn't they? you know why would they why would they go out and take him in a, in a rule five draft and have to have all these roster stipulations on him? so um, I, that's that's my only thinking of why he wouldn't go and I, I know I know like I said teams were still figuring out who they were going to add last week and they didn't want to muddy the waters, but I don't know I, I feel like that's going to be. I feel like that's the reason why he won't go is somebody already could have had him for free basically.
1: And and I can agree with all of that. Uh, and I will even add on to it by saying that in the end, there's going to be some free agents who are looking for a home and these guys will end up taking a DH position in, in the national league. Even if it's like a middle infielder, they'll sign. And then teams in the national league will say, Hey, I'll be able to rest Brandon belt or Brandon Crawford or whoever it is, you know, um, I'll be able to rest some of my position players who are getting some mileage on them, you know, and give them an extra day off for the week and still get them in the lineup. So I think that will, I think that'll impact Gonzalez that way that he may not get taken just because of that sheer fact that teams know that there'll be some free agents that they'll be able to pick up on the cheap and that will end up getting pinched because of the lockout.
0: It's very possible for sure. I, I I think someone should grab Cantillo. I don't know about Adam Scott, maybe, but for sure I would take Cantillo just because of the projectability and I don't know. They're kind of the same pitcher in some way, so why not take a chance in either of them? There's a lot of pitching te- uh, a lot of pitching starving teams out there, like Baltimore, uh, the Nationals, the Pirates. I mean, geez, the Pirates took Luis Oviedo a year ago who hadn't pitched above. Um Hi, A and and 2019 or 2020 when they, when they took him, he didn't pitch because um, uh, there was he, no minor league season.
1: Yeah. I think the difference was uh Oviedo had pitched in the winter league in Venezuela, if I remember correctly. And I'm guessing yeah, he, he was pitched there before the rule five draft, he showed he was healthy because he'd had that. What was it? A back issue. I think it was. Um He came back, showed he was healthy in Venezuela or the Dominican. I don't remember which.
0: Um, and ended up getting picked right after that, so. Yeah, I mean, look at the, even the Mets. Like, okay, the Nationals starting rotation next year might be better than I thought, but they're going to go with, like, have a lot of money in Steven Strasberg, Patrick Corbin. They have Josiah Gray now, who they got, in the, the trade Turner-Max Scherzer trade. Their four or five stars are projected to be Josh Rogers and Paolo Espino. You're telling me they wouldn't love to have a a Joey Cantillo in that rotation or or even in their bullpen just to see if they can get into the rotation or the Pirates or. Well, you take a guy like him and then you make and him, a, um, make him an opener. Yeah. I, I don't see do time. And that's kind of why I thought maybe they, they traded for Myers because, you know, Cantillo obviously didn't get a chance to pitch in 2020 then he didn't get to pitch this year because of the injury and Myers has had more time on the mound recently and. They obviously like him. So I wonder if maybe that was like protection, like, okay, if we lose Cantillo or Scott, we have Myers on the roster as protection. He's a guy we like, and he's kind of more of a known quantity right now because he's had more health recently. So maybe that factored into it, but
1: I, I think um, so. I think it's uh, what have you done for me lately? And they saw what Myers has and what Myers can be. I mean, he's only 23 and there's still some upside there. Um, you know, like I said earlier, it, it's all projection with him anyways. I mean, he's a 23 year old and he's still developing. It's, it's not as if he's shown. And you know, that's one thing I like to remind people when, when I say a guy has 55 control or 60 control, that's not where he's at currently. That's where he could end up at based off of the numbers that he's been posting. You know, Um, that's also a reason a team could take a Joey Cantillo. Like you said, Washington, I mean, if I was them and their system is deplorable, um, I would take multiple picks and try to fill out some pitching that way. And I would take a risk of running a guy like a Cantillo out there in the bullpen or even an Adam Scott. You know, it, it depends on who's on the board. Obviously, I know they're picking fifth so that they'll have their choices and premium guys. Generally, you'll see a lot of left-handers taken in the in the Rule 5 draft. You'll see middle infielders that can be utility players. You'll see a lot of pitching. Usually you see pitching with 95 and above in velocity, and then you'll see left-handers, which you don't see that kind of velocity from um, very often. But Cantillo exactly. Cantillo has the upside of being uh, maybe a mid-to-back rotation starter, depending on his development, and he's barely been seen for two years, so it's hard to... Say who or what he ultimately becomes, and how much he fills out that frame, and how he adjusts to the new arm swing. Um, there's a lot, a, a lot of variables, and I think that's why Cleveland was a lot more willing to risk losing a Contillo over bringing in a, a more known commodity uh, in Myers.
0: And like I said, they obviously like Myers too, and I, I think he's a good addition to the roster. Um, all right, we spent about a half hour on on Sandy Leone and the Rule Five guys. Anybody? Four hours to go. Three and a half hours to go. we got to go four hours. I hope you uh, don't like sleeping and you can work on three hours to sleep tomorrow. Um, are um, there any guys? <laughs> yeah, well, good thing it's a, it's a short week. Uh, any, like... Anybody, any surprises for you on who they let go of? Because I know there were some people who were like, you know, why did Mercado and Zimmer survive the cuts? And I thought, you know, I would have probably hung on to Daniel Johnson because he has an option, but obviously they didn't.
1: Um, and I wonder if I feel like there's more value with him moving him now instead of later, um, because a- as I've been saying to you and Jared in, in the in our direct messages that I felt like they were going to pull off a few minor trades in the next few days. Um, Johnson is one I think could could get traded. I also think that some people are looking to looking at him and thinking that, you know, he's still a top 10 prospect. He is not. Um, he got exposed somewhat last year. I think he, there was a game against the White Sox where he struck out on three change ups in a row. Um, that was one of the His non- defense wasn't great. Yeah, exactly. He's not. He's never really capitalized on the tools that he has. Um, he could still be a major league ball player, probably a platoon guy if if anything. Um, but there's there's speed. There's a strong arm there. There's some tools there to work with. He's also 25, 26 years old and. The clock is running out on him he has one option and that's what gives him value but later on i can easily cut a mercado or i can trade a mercado for cash or whatever you know um i won't feel bad if he's designated for assignment i won't feel bad if bradley zimmer is non-tendered at a later time um that's
0: what i was thinking with all this is that they added 11 guys and they cut seven to get to they just to get to 40 and it's like, you know, there's still a lot of offseason left, even if the, the lockout throws a wrench into a lot of it, which, again, really pisses me off because this should have been a, a super fun offseason for the team. But you have to have guys, if you if you have that many players and you're 40 at this point, you have to have guys, you're comfortable trying to pass through waivers and, and outright them off the roster. If you, you know, add, so like an Oscar Mercado or a Zimmer or, you know, a Yu Chang or an Ernie Clement, uh, those are guys
1: and Sam is you know, guys, guys that you can, you feel that you can potentially move for, you know, to upgrade, a cash or a prospect or, or do something with them, you know. Um, as right. I said, don't be surprised. Last week I said, don't be surprised if they keep a player or two that you think to yourself, why did they make the team? Or that's an easy cut, and, and, you know. And one guy that I used as an example was Alex Young. He was an easy cut uh, to right. be the first guy off the roster. <laughs>
0: yeah and Justin Garza they use that spot too because it's like okay yeah he was serviceable but not a guy you're really going to be devastated to lose because of the options and his his age and everything so those are like you know if they they should add an outfielder to this 40-man roster a major league outfielder whether it's a free agent or a trade and that could be Oscar Mercado or Bradley Zimmer's spot you know they could make the, the addition there and Say okay, you're going to take this spot on the roster. You have to have guys. I mean, yes, could they have just gone ahead and and cut Mercado and Zimmer and been like, okay, see ya, and just have 38 spots? Yeah, they could have done that, sure. But I think you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room and um, a fallback plan. You know what? And they have no, There's no guarantee you're going to get a deal done and add somebody. So you don't want to leave yourself shortchanged. So well, even if, if you I don't see-
1: think. If I see your roster is Miles Straw and that's your outfield, and yeah, I'm I taking am, I am and- let's let's yeah, let's say I'm the Seattle Mariners, random team. I'm the Seattle Mariners, and you're saying, hey, we want to, we want an outfielder, Kyle Lewis, Jared Kellenick, or you're telegraphing whatever.
0: your moves, right?
1: Yeah, Taylor Trammell or whatever. Um, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> you're gonna have to pay out the nose for him, you know. I want Zach Plesac. I want Brian Rocchio. You know, let's 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 talk a deal, but you're going to have to pay a premium for them because I know how bad you need them,
0: and everybody else in the league would too. Right. It's playing chess. That's where the playing chess comes in. Not Sandy Leone, but Oscar Mercado or, or whatever. <laughs> that's where the chess comes in. So, yeah, those that's why those guys have really hung on to roster spots for now. It doesn't mean because they'll be here next year, I mean they might, but um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces and a lot of games to play as far as how to build a roster what needs to be done to make things go your way. And on, in that vein, I wanted to really bring up this article on fan graphs by Eric Longenhagen today. Um, you know, he just went through all the, all the 40 man roster ads throughout the league and he uh, on Cleveland had this to say, um, you know, turned over about 20% of their 40 man roster uh, due to inactivity caused by a tight fisted owner. So, You know, I think he's saying the Dolans, they could have, maybe they could have made more trades. Maybe they could have added a major league player for some of these, these prospects instead of Adam to 40 uh, and add, add payroll. They supposedly say they're going to do it, but they didn't do it. But I don't know if, if they had enough time to make these deals. I will say Chris Anthony said, this was the, one of the most active weeks they've had trade talk wise in quite some time. So maybe they were having more conversations and things didn't get done. And, You know, there's still nine days to do it, but.
1: And and he alluded to that even coming out of the general manager's meetings. I think it was uh, the first part of November after the world series, he he had said it had been one of the most active conversations that they would had. That's why I'm hopeful that they'll actually still get a few trades done. I think more likely to bring additions in through some subtraction off of the 40 man roster and also Mm -hmm. through prospect depth. You know, when you see that you have guys, it you have to look ahead and think we have this depth coming next year too. Um, part of the reason they added a guy in a trade like Peyton Battenfield who did not need to be rostered right away,
0: right? So they can kick that can down the road and still have an option for next year. Um, the other other thing Eric Long and Hagen mentioned was a couple well, a couple of things. He said um, their farm building strategy has kind of carried over to their organizations. What that what that means is the way Cleveland builds their system and the way they make trades and the way they value players um, is becoming very similar to other teams because of Cleveland's success is what you said, because which is more common and part of Cleveland's demonstrated success. So um, I know people are going to be listening to this saying, well, the team's terrible. They haven't made the playoffs since, tw- well, okay, 2020, they made the playoffs, but if you don't want to count that, whatever. Um, but there's a lot of people saying, well, they're not good right now They're They want 1882. And we don't know what, you know, they traded Lindor. We don't know how good they're going to be next year, but, um, you know Eric Longenhagen is is pretty well sourced as far as um, farm systems and and teams go you know he he talks to a lot of scouts and a lot of other evaluators about how teams build their rosters and their farm systems so if another another team is telling him you know we do you know a lot of teams do things the way Cleveland does it now so there's a lot of teams that build their system the same way and think the same way they do and and evaluate players the same way, it makes it hard to trade because nobody's going to budge from their way of thinking. So it makes it a lot harder, but um, that does tell you Cleveland's had some success if other teams are emulating their style. But the last part of it was this that I I found interesting was um, purportedly stubborn grinding style of of, uh, trade negotiations where basically Uh, T and Hagen said other other sources of his offered up unprompted that Cleveland's hard to trade with um, because they have to be dragged to the middle point of the deal um, and they refuse to back off. Kind of what they look they're looking for. So it sounds like Cleveland is hard to trade with, and that is not the first time I've ever read that. I'm not surprised because they you and I both agree. They very clearly know what they're looking for in a trade. And if they're not going to get it, they're not going to just give in and say, well, okay, fine. We'll have it your way. No, it's going to be, we, we, we like this in the trade. And if we don't get it, we're not going to bother taking less than we think we should get. I mean, does it prevent them from making more trades? Probably, but I don't know.
1: I, I I think it's why they've made trades like with uh, Mike Clevenger and expanding that deal to a nine player deal. Of course, Cleveland sent off a, a guy like Greg Allen, who, you know, has been through waivers and stuff since then, but they also included a prospect going back the other direction and brought in six players. I think that's part of the reason, you know, that they expanded the deal because they wanted quality quantity. And that's kind of what long and hanging is referring to is there's a lot more teams who are seeking quality quantity in trades rather than one superstar player. And then a couple of fringe pieces in a, in a trade they want several really good prospects. I don't want just your number one and then your 40 and 50 prospect. I want your number five. I want a 10 and I want your number 15. So you are you may be what appears to be settling for less, but you're giving yourself a better floor of actually getting
0: something in return. Yeah, and you're getting guys that you feel like you can develop. And even if they don't develop for you, you can lose them in a trade, in other trades. And um, I, that's why you see, Cleveland is not the only team that has a reputation for this because this is why you see so many teams make trades with each other so often. Like This is why uh, the Reds and the Tigers have made a lot of trades with with each other over the years. I'm trying to think who else is a good example. The Mariners and the Rays have made a lot of trades with each other. Um, I don't know who else is is a really good matcher, but Cleveland and San Diego and Cleveland and Tampa Bay, they've all made trades with each other over the last several years a lot of times, that's because they – clearly know what the other one's looking for. They know how to negotiate with each other. Obviously it matters what you think the team can give you back. You're not going to just negotiate with a team that has something to offer just because you like them or have dealt with them in the past, but they clearly have some familiarity and some level of comfort negotiating because they think similarly and they can understand where the other side's coming from. So that's why, that's why you see a lot of teams. Like if you look at transactions and trades, over the last five or so years, I will bet you you will find at least half the league is going to be teams that have traded with this with other team the same team three, My four, time. or five times. Yeah, but yeah. It just that's how it's it's becoming more more common if you match up in the way you Part think of it about is relationship. Them. Right. So, but I did find it interesting that he said they're difficult to deal with, and um, I like that. You know, line. I didn't put yeah. I I, no, I agree. It makes sense. Why, why would you back off your demands? If you, if you, every team knows their own player, the best, right? Nobody knows the player better than your own team. Some teams definitely teams definitely overvalue their players. I think um, Zach Buchanan at the athletic had a really good article with um, an interview with the GM, Mike Hazen of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Mike Hazen is a Cleveland front office. Uh, he was an intern or he was say he, he, he worked for the, in front office like a decade ago as a some kind of assistant and he's the the gm or the president of baseball ops in arizona and he said you know our own we're we're always biased towards our own players we always overvalue our our own players every team does it it's hard not to and you try to limit that bias as best you can so part of it is definitely that but nobody no you don't nobody knows your players better than you do so if you really value that player why on earth would you say well yeah, we wanted it this way coming in, but we're going to lessen our demands because it doesn't change how you feel about the player. How you feel about the player is how you feel about the player when you're making a trade. It's just because the other team is like, well, we don't feel that way about him. Well, that's great if you don't like him as much as we do. We do, and if you're not going to pay as much as we think you should pay to acquire him, then we're not going to trade him because why would we... That that just says that, okay, we're willing to say we don't like him as much as we thought we did. No, you still like the player, the price doesn't change. What is, what is that saying? The, if the, oh God, I'm going to, sc- I'm going to totally butcher it now. It's uh if the plan doesn't work, don't change the goal, change how you get there. Well, you're not going to change how you get there. If you, if you already know you want to get there, you just change how you get there, but you're not, you don't change the fact that you want to get there. Does that make any sense at all?
1: It does, and I think that's where you expand deals, um, where Cleveland expands deals to to extract that value that they feel that they have to have in every deal. That's why you see uh, Emmanuel Class A and Delano DeShields Shields and cash coming back for Corey Kluber. He was a devalued piece. This is not an emotional trade. Um, when they make a trade like that, or they make any trade, they go by player valuations. And whatever value they put on those players, that's exactly what they're sticking to. You know, I know some people knocked and thought Corey Kluber should have brought back a lot more. Um, He was also a guy that sub, I'm sorry, post 30 with a lot of innings on the arm and was an injury risk at that point in time. You know, Um, I expected them to get back a little bit more than what they did, um, in all fairness. But I don't think that. They're not going to run out and they're not going to trade the top three prospects in the organization because they have the need to acquire Brian Reynolds or Jesse Winker or whoever it is, Matt Olson or even Sean Murphy, who I've mentioned as a trade target. Um, It's not going to be an emotional decision for them. They're going to stick with their evaluations. They're going to find ways to make things work. And if it doesn't work or it can't work, they're going to go to an alternate route and, you know, stick with. Stick With that, but they're going to stick with their valuations because that's what this organization does.
0: And this is funny, you brought up class A. The Rangers did like a poll the other day, or they they put out a tweet that said, Hey, um, who's your favorite Texas Ranger of all time? You know, nobody said Cory Kluber. <laughs> nobody said Cory Kluber. I can't who's imagine their favorite that. Texas Ranger of all time. Weird, yeah, well, well, I, I wonder think I'm get jerseys too. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the Rangers' random jersey citing is Corey Kluber. All right. So we've talked about who got added. Interesting guys who didn't get added. Uh, we dug in on Tobias Myers a little bit. Um, the rest of the off season, we don't really need to get into 2022, I guess, as much as I thought we did. But I will just say the guys next year, I don't think it's as bad next year. I mean, you might have to come back and, and circle back on guys like um, an Aaron Pinto or hopefully, hopefully Aaron Bracho. Like, Aaron Bracho was a guy last year. I I literally wrote about this a year ago today because I checked it. And I said last year that Aaron Bracho was a guy who probably would be a no-doubt add. And he was so bad this year that he wasn't. And I don't think he'll get taken. So maybe next year you have to circle back. And hopefully Bracho is so good you have to add him or trade him or whatever. Um, you know, you could have Cantillo. You could have Scott. Maybe Alex Planes, who uh, was part of the same July two. Uh, international sign class didn't quite have a great year. Maybe he's good enough where you have to add him next year. Um, next year, you also have to have Ethan Hankins and Peyton Battenfield, Nick Nikolajic, Lenny Torres, Bo Naylor, Angel Martinez, Gabriel Rodriguez, and then some other guys that are interesting like uh, Mike Caprice, Will Brennan, Hunter Gaddis, Nick Enright, uh, Tim Heron. Those are all guys that are up for up for rostering next year um, to you know different degrees, but. <laughs> This thing's not slowing down. A year from now, we're going to be having probably not as an intense a conversation, but, you know, we're still going to have to have a conversation about
1: this. You're actually uh, answering a question for me. So I got a question from Zane Stevens and I'll go ahead and read it. Um, Oh, yeah. go. You actually answered pretty well the question without even knowing what the questions was. Uh, Who do you see being added next year? And are there any dark horse candidates that you're expecting a a lot of growth or a bounce back from? So you already mentioned like Bracho, you mentioned um, an Ethan Hankins recovering from injury. Um, And and you've talked about Nick Mikolachak, somebody that I think could be up mid season. And and what do you do with a guy like Nick Enright that could help the bullpen next year, but there's really, is there roster room for him? This is going to be a continual problem for the next three years, four years. And I mean, Look, they just that's drafted exactly. they just drafted almost twenty starting pitchers, or or twenty pitchers rather, that were college players, given meaning they're gonna to need to be added in four years. So this is gonna be a continual process for the Guardians and for us
0: fans for the next four or five years. And maybe longer, hopefully. The one year probably won't come into play as badly as the, the twenty twenty draft guys because there's only five rounds. They got what, six players? So that's like the only Yeah. It won't be as bad. I, I forget I have to look go back and look and see who their July two class was that year, but um, you know, when you get to adding P D help and that's all that matters. You add him and you don't you worry about everybody else later. That's right. And Logan T. We <laughs> gotta get Logan T on there. Uh, oh well I, I see I think Logan T. Allen's gonna be on the roster either next year or the year after. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, so uh good question. Let's get to the questions then. We got one out of the way. Um I definitely think Hankins could be a bounce back. Bo Naylor too. Like Bo Naylor if Bo Naylor had to be out of the roster this year, I kind of wonder if they would have done it. But he didn't, and we'll see what happens next year. I'll uh, just yeah, say he gets added watch. next year. I'll throw that out now. I think he gets out uh, of He's a first time. round pick. It would be it would be devastating if they didn't add him because he's a first round pick. Although even if know, he Wilkinson hits 225
1: and- again, I mean, if he hits 225 next year, he's an excellent defensive catcher. He's really made great improvement there. And Savali really bragged about. I think it was him and Lavastida. I, I yeah. still think that they would protect him just by the nature or by virtue of positional value.
0: That's true. Or, you know, they make the trade this year and they decide which, which of their, which catcher is the catcher of the future. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe we don't get there. I mean, again, I still expect, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm expecting wrong, but I think they'll make one, one significant trade this off season involving a prospect. And, and if they're things are going well next season during the year, they'll do it again. So yeah, that, it, it really kind of the point where the Padres are. Remember how the Padres had like this great system, and they traded like everybody but like their top five prospects. I kind of feel like we're getting close with Cleveland doing that, where you know maybe they don't have a bunch of future stars prospects like a Jake Cronenworth or a Fernando Tatis or McKenzie. They well, they might have some McKenzie Gores. I don't know, but they have like I don't know five or six top hundred prospects, but they have you know, 10 or 12 guys that are in the top 200 and you need to make the major league team better. You don't have room for all these guys and they're going to make a deal. So I think either in the next like 12 months, I expect a couple, like at least three deals involving prospects to either, you know, reset things or make the the major league team better. I think at least three deals involving prospects that will be needle movers.
1: I, I think they'll bring in at least two bats this off season. One will be a bigger name. One will be a solid player. Uh, I say a solid player. I mean, an Ian Happ or somebody who can catch, who's not necessarily an all-star caliber catcher of Sean Murphy or, or whoever. Um, maybe that's a first baseman instead. I don't know. You know, maybe that's Luke Voigt. Um, but I, I think they'll go for a, I, I think they'll bring in a couple of bats. I think they'll look for a free agency to bring in another upgrade to the lineup as well. I'm looking for two or three o- offensive upgrades. Um, obviously, you know, both you and I think that they'll bring in a, a Blake Shaw or a Brian
0: Blake Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> just combine them. It's two pitchers now. It's not, they're going to consolidate and just bring in Blake Shaw. They're going to consolidate him. That could be pretty good. New guy. <laughs> yeah. Combine it. Combine. Maybe they're really good. I don't know. That's uh that is the next frontier is combining play. You know, that's the next market inefficiency is combining the skills of two players and making them one. That's, that's the, uh. If they can figure that out, they'll be on the cutting edge. How about more questions? This is from Graydon Fox. Any thoughts on a Clint Frazier reunion, what it would cost? Also discussion on undervalued free agents that could be had for cheap, especially in the bullpen. I would like to see Clint Frazier come back. I'm, I'm First of all, I feel bad for Clint Frazier the human because, you know, he had this concussion. Now he's got vertigo. He's been dealing with all kinds of, Um, after effects this concussion. I feel terrible for him as a person because I know it's not just, it's not just affecting him on, on the baseball field. It's, it's affecting his life. I mean, he's, he's talked multiple times about how he just hasn't been able to function normally at at times because um, you know, the vertigo and and the concussions are so bad. I feel bad for him, but if he's able to play next year and you feel like he's going to be healthy, I would love to take a chance on him. I wouldn't give him more than a one year deal. And I think, He's got to have arbitration. He was just arbitration eligible. So, even if you sign him to a one year deal, you still control him through arbitration. So, there's no risk there. You can just non tender him. Um, depending on health and the price, yeah, I would definitely revisit that. Why not?
1: I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him with teams with that general thought. Um, I don't know that the Yankees get a whole lot for him, though. I, I would suspect like $100,000 cash or maybe a minor league prospect. I don't think there's going to be a huge return. Um, but I do think he has some value still just because of the upside, but with the risk injury and and the unknown surrounding him, not knowing if he's even going to be able to play baseball again or be on the field next year, you know, I, I think maybe it's a little bit more serious or maybe I'm thinking of it a little bit more seriously than other people are. If it's affecting him that much, is he done with baseball? You know, uh, so I do think there's some value there, but I, I don't know what it is.
0: Do you think that he clears waivers? Do you think that like he gets outrighted at at uh, I don't think he has enough service time to refuse and be a free agent. So if nobody if nobody trades him or claims him, um he can I he has to go to triple play for
1: him. I, I do think they'll make a trade. Um, maybe a minor league or somebody that he, they don't have to worry about rostering for a few years, you know, kind of like right. Cleveland did with right. Mark Matthias.
0: Junior Camonero, people are upset about that. People love Junior Camonero. I mean, he's—we even talk about that big swing. Um, I'm, I'm okay well, with well, they're, they're yeah. trading.
1: They're—they're trading a bat four or five years away for a pitcher that's six months away. You know?
0: Yeah, I'm okay with that because look, a te- teenage power hitter's in the DSL. Man, that's a as, as fun as Camonero could be. That's a big risk. Re- a big risk. You know, you, you know, he could easily not get past high A. We've seen that before. So. Um, super fun, but how about any other under what he says undervalued bats on the market? I don't know. I mean, offense is always coming at a premium. I'm not sure who out there is undervalued. Like I'm thinking like Jack Peterson, but I feel like he had such a good postseason that he might climb um, up the board.
1: I'll, I'll throw out a couple of relief pitchers, Hector Neris, um, from the Phillies oh, yeah. and Archie Mark Melanson, please. Football.
0: Mark Melanson.
1: Yeah. Mark Melanson would be one. Um, and, and Archie Bradley, the former closer for the Diamondbacks, Um, he walks a lot of guys. He also strikes out a lot of guys, somebody Cleveland has had interest in, in the past, he would be an interesting addition. I don't think he's going to require a huge contract.
0: I would think Mark Melanson's going to go to a team that's going to give him a shot to be the closer. Cause he's always been the closer and he's, he's been very effective over the last several years. Um, But you know what Mark Melanson does? He has that high arm slot, and he throws a cutter, and he throws that fastball. It's only 92, but it spins, and he has a good breaking ball. Like, I don't know, he kind of fits with that. That that was kind of the the thinking behind Blake Parker last year. And, look, Blake Parker had a good impact on Trevor Steffen. He taught him the splitter. Um, Bring in Mark Melanson and and let him teach some guys this year. I like David Robertson. I liked him last year. Uh, The Tampa Bay Rays grabbed him as he got healthy coming back from the Olympics. So. I think they'll make at least one or two deals with the minor league arm. I don't know. I, th- I think Melanson gets a major league contract, and this team is not really known for signing free agent relievers to major league contracts. They're more likely to do it on a minor league deal, so I don't know. Does Sean Doolittle, Doolittle still interest anybody? Colin McHugh? Um, yeah. I'm not sure. There's There's some names out there for sure. How about how about the fun questions, Willie? From Jeff, our buddy Jeff Ellis, wants to know why didn't Cleveland trade for Christian Yelich? I mean, clearly you could have gotten Christian Yelich for J.C. Mahee and Harold Ramirez. They could have packaged them together. Very, very disappointing on Cleveland's and not getting an yeah, all-star outfielder for two guys they just DFA'd.
1: Yeah, I mean, even throw in a Scott Moss, they could have they could have got him for Scott Moss straight up. I mean, you and I both That's know true. that. Even Alex Young, I, I think Alex Young could have brought Yelich, Yelich back. I, I don't know what this front office is thinking. I mean, he still has options remaining too, and he's left-handed. There's a premium on left-handed pitching right now, and the Brewers could really use that. He'd probably play up in the National League since, you know, they get to play against or they get to pitch against pitchers. So for now,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. I know Jeff's going to get those questions on Lockdown Guardians. I feel bad for him. Um, We haven't got any of those questions yet, thankfully. Um, Our buddy Hiram wants to know if we're okay with going with Quan and Palacio starting the outfield to begin the year. I think you and I both know that neither of them will start the year in the outfield to start April because that's not what Cleveland does. But if they were up by June, I'd be all for it no matter which one it is. Or maybe even May.
1: Yeah, I mean... I really think one or, the, one or the other could end up in a trade. And right. I, view, I view Palacios as he's an outfielder as long as he's on, his, on this team, but his greatest value is that second base for another team. Um, you know, if you're a team devoid of a good second baseman, maybe Cleveland makes that deal and, and sends Palacios that way.
0: Yeah, neither of them will be up in April. I suspect one could be traded, but at some point you'll see one of them next year in Cleveland. I'm not sure when, but – uh, one of them, but it won't be April because that's not what Cleveland does, and never, ever will. Uh, are you willing to trade with part with Aaron Savali in the trade for a major deal? I mean, yeah, I don't know if Savali is going to get you a major, a major deal. Like he's a nice pitcher. I think they're more likely to deal a police act, but I don't know how much how much value he has. But yeah, in the right deal, you could definitely trade anybody, right?
1: Absolutely, and you know, like you said, I think it's more likely that they trade police act. Um, with him, I think you would be still looking at a package or, you know, depending on who you're trying to acquire, you may be bringing in a player or two back. Um, but I think it's more likely it's Plesak than Savali.
0: Right. And then he wanted to know the status of Hunter Gaddis, Lenny Torres, and Ethan Hankins to begin the year. Um, I, that's like the first I've ever heard anybody ask about Hunter Gaddis, That's fun. Uh, he, Hunter Hunter Gaddis could be in the Akron rotation next year. Lenny Torres should be in the Lake County rotation. And I think Ethan Hankins, he's on track to be healthy to start the year. And I would say he'll come to Lake County to start the year and hopefully he'll get hit. He'll be healthy enough to pitch his way to Akron is, is my guess.
1: Yeah. I think, I think they'll take their time with him. There's no need to rush him back. Um, I think he ends up finishing the year in Akron.
0: Hopefully. Yeah. If things go well. He'll be in Akron. Uh, our buddy Kevin Sheen asked if Palacio is more of a second base or an outfield at this point. Does that depend on roster construction? I would say definitely depends on roster construction, but unless they trade a lot of middle infielders, I would say he's more likely an outfielder. I think it would I think that their middle infield depth is is positioned as such that it would take a lot of movement for him to go back to playing the infield. I would say it's more likely he's definitely an outfielder from now on.
1: I think with this, with this organization, you know, just kind of like I said, and I'll reiterate, I think his best value is at second base. With this organization, I feel like he's
0: an outfielder. Yeah, definitely definitely a second baseman is probably his best position, but, um, you know, left field or center field in the pinch. Uh, Quincy Wheeler, we kind of talked about this already, but he wanted to know our thoughts on the Fangraphs piece about um, protecting so many players because they didn't want to pay the big league contract they could acquire. I, I don't know if it's that. I think, you know, they talked about payroll wanting to go, to go up this year, and they're looking for a minority in, uh, owner. I think it's just they haven't found a deal yet. I, I Like we both said already, we both expect a deal to happen, whether it's in the next nine days or whatever the new CBA is signed. We'll see. But, um, yeah. Like no, I said, the market,
1: the market on hitters has not moved. Who signed outside of Manny Pena? I don't remember a big-name bat signing. I don't remember a big-name bat getting traded. I think it's more to do with the market get, getting established than it is anything. And I think the hitters will come after the pitching is done. And truth be told, the shortstops are going to likely hold up um, any right. big free agent signings in, until otherwise. Obviously, there's Starling Marte who has a uh, what is a heated market, according to Amen or Morosi or whoever you want to read. You know, everybody's saying Starling Marte has a, has a really hot market, but he's still not signed.
0: Yeah, definitely shortstops are holding things up there. Before you make a trade, we'll see. Um, especially considering Cleveland has a lot of shortstops to trade, possibly. And then we talked about the um, inflexibility to deal because they're t- difficult to deal with. It's possible, and um, but we both they don't like make them.
1: emotional trades. You know, like I said, it's player valuation. What they feel is the value. They're not going to take less value than what they feel that they can extract.
0: Yeah, you can't you can't pay more than what you can pay. You're not going to take less than what you, you paid, so you might as well. Got a couple questions from our buddy Flutorius. Um, <clears throat> let's see where we can go with these. He's got a bunch of them. Uh, he said, why not bring Blake Parker back? Solid, won't convey a lot of money. We both agreed that maybe he'll come back and maybe they'll sign some other veteran minor league relievers. So like said, Blake Shaw. We'll, we'll bring in Blake Shaw. Yes, they're going to splice those two together. Like I said, they're they're going to get... The best both un- un- worlds. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen a bolt from blue offseason hype like Steven Kwan is getting? Is it reasonable to buy into the notion that he's a legit MLB-level contributor next year? He definitely has grown a lot. Uh, it's very interesting. I think the... and Any time a player adds, especially a hitter, adds power to their game... And it's not like he's hitting, you know, 40 home runs, but when you go from hitting like five to, to 15, that's kind of a jump if we really think that 15 is closer to the um, level he can get to uh, rather than being a fluke. But no, I think everybody, I think, especially the fantasy community, I think they see that this is a guy who can carry a high on base and has added some pop to his game. That seems like it's going to stick. It's not a fluke. So that's why he's rising. And yeah, I definitely think that he could be a, a, uh, a reasonably good, MLB level contributor next year for Cleveland or or somebody if they use him in trade I for sure think that he could do that next year I, I it's it it you know it, it's very surprising that it happens but it does happen
1: yeah I agree I think he's a good player I think he's going to be possible your maybe your third best outfielder but a guy that's going to get on base I think twelve to fifteen home runs is what you'd expect and you're going to get stolen bases from him he's going to play sound defense. And uh, doesn't strike out. He's going to take a lot of pitches, and he's going to
0: work pitch counts. Um, something teams that you want. That. From yeah, teams love that. Uh, wants to know our take on Josh Naylor. He was starting to put things together for the injury. Or where does he fit in the roster? Um, are the tools there? Love the spark. Where's the development? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I I've, I've kind of forgot about Josh Naylor and all this. To be honest, like all this talk about the roster and adding prospects to the the forty, I kind of forgot Josh Naylor was there, and he's got to play somewhere. I, I just don't know how, how that leg is going to respond coming back next year.
1: I mean, working in the medical field like I do and, and having worked in trauma uh, and seeing people make these sort of recoveries, I think he's probably limited, um, probably limited to first base going forward. I don't expect him to be out in the outfield. And to be honest with you, they'll probably tell him to to shed some weight to put less stress on that leg. Um, theoretically the leg is going to be stronger, but you know, they always say the bones graft back stronger. Um, but when you have plates and screws and all of that going on too, there's some other dynamics there to think about. Um, would he risk another sort of gruesome injury or or another sort of lower body injury because of a misstep in the outfield, running into a tarp in the outfield, running into the wall, things like that. I think he would be safer at first base. So I think his, defensive positioning is going to be limited in the future. His bat has not come around like they thought it would. Uh, I felt like he was on the verge of kind of getting things together before the injury. And then the injury happened. So who knows from here? I think he's a really, really, he's a wild card. Um, He's the X factor for next season again.
0: (laughs) I think it depends on what Cleveland wants to do. If you're, if you're very serious about competing next year and you want to, you want to come in, you want to say, let's, let's, um, Let's try to win the division. I don't think you can wait on Naylor because A, we don't know if he's going to be healthy, and B, you don't know how good he's going to be if he is healthy. So if you're serious about you know trying to contend for the division next year, I, I don't think you can wait on him. But I also think they've have, they have a lot invested in him from as far as trades and development. I think they really identified him as someone they like, and you know I think they they have a lot of investment invested in his success. And quite frankly, I'd love to see Bo and Josh in the same lineup. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So I'm hoping they get to that point, but yeah, I don't know. I I could see them kind of leaving him behind. Um, if they decide to make some other upgrades and not really wait on that leg. So we'll see. Uh, last one from Flutorius. We're getting towards the end here. Um, Are the G's, the Guardians, moving towards contact bat skills? Is that a sound strategy supported by analytics? Or is it more of a zig when everyone else is zagging tactic? Are they targeting a market inefficiency? Or are these skills undervalued for a reason? This is a good question because you want to know what? A lot of teams are doing this. Uh, The Astros are probably the most famous for this so far because they've made the postseason. They've had a lot of success with guys like Bregman and Altuve and Springer and... They signed Michael Brantley and um, Carlos Correa makes a lot of contact. They've, they've excelled with this type. So the Astros do it as good as anybody when it comes to this whole um, let's get guys with contact and let's help them unlock high exit velocities and, and a little more power. I think Cleveland has followed that trend. They definitely leaned into it. And I think it's happening major league wide. I think a lot of teams are trying to get towards this trend and uh, Cleveland is, I don't want to say they're following. I think they got there, but it's just taken a while for their prospects that they've acquired um, in this kind of skill set to make it to the majors. So in the next two years, you'll start to see these guys get there and, and we'll see how it works out for them. But no, this to me is, um, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to teach a guy to hit for power. Like Will, Will Benson, Will Benson has immense power Is as a good, you know, a great idea of the strike zone. He just doesn't make a lot of contact and it's hard to teach that, but look, Jose Ramirez makes a crap ton of contact and um, nobody ever thought he did for the kind of power he has, but he has, and I don't you know whether that's self-taught or somebody helped him. It's sure a heck of a lot easier to, to help somebody hit the ball harder if they can hit it in the first place. Cause if they can't hit in the first place, you know, you got a lot more. Well, that's where,
1: that's where value in a player like Steven Kwan has, Jumped immensely because he he went from being a guy that was probably four or five home run guy a season to now suddenly we're talking fifteen home runs for him uh, because of the natural strength and the training and the stuff that he's put in. A lot of that came came through the work that he put in in the offseason last year, the strength training and the things that he did with Tyler Freeman um, in the in the in twenty twenty during the COVID season. Um, While well, the two of them trained in Texas, or really three of them, because Jonathan Engelman was there with them. Um, I think that's where a lot of that on potential came from with Quan. And that's why we've seen the fruit of it, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're really trying to say and what he's trying to bring out in this question is, and, and I agree with what you're saying. I think that really to answer all of this, I'm going to say yes. Um, <laughs> I do think that they are focusing on all of that. I do think they are zigging when some people or some teams are zagging. Uh, maybe some are looking too much at launch angle. Look at the guys that Cleveland has drafted in recent years, the position players that they've drafted, guys that they've acquired in trades, and most of them are on-base guys that you hope you can get a little bit more out of with the bat, a little bit more pop-up from. But most of them have that bat-to-ball skill already and and a great awareness of the strike
0: zone. And let me tell you, if you're still listening, sound smart with your friends nobody teaches launch angle that's not a thing you teach it's a, a result launch angle is a result it's not a it's not a strategy the strategy is the attack angle it's how you get to the launch angle it's how you get to having optimal level of lift in your swing to get the ball in the air that's called attack angle and you you kind of build your swing as best it fits you as a as a player as your body can move to try to maximize your strength. So launch angle is the result of a strategy It is not the strategy. So if you hear anybody saying, well, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to do launch angle. They're trying to, um, you know, they're getting caught up in launch angle. That's, that's a, that's a result. It's not a strategy. So sound smart with your friends. How about the last one here? Michael Mahoney, of all the 40-man additions, uh, who do you guys see as the likeliest trade candidate? I was surprised they didn't make one more trade before Friday's deadline. Well, we both kind of said, what, Jose Tana strikes me as a candidate, even though I – again, I think his apex is next year. Um,
1: Juan and Palacios,
0: one of those two guys. Maybe
1: I think too much, Justin, but I think with the possibilities of trading a starting pitcher – you bring in depth, you bring in guys who are several years behind because you have several guys that are going to be going into the same free agent time frame or frame, uh, same free agent window, so to speak, with Shane Bieber, Cal Quantrill, Aaron Savali, and Zach Plesek. They're all within a year of each other. Cleveland can't have four guys walk at once, but you can trade one guy now, bring in an outfielder, help a team, and bring back a young pitcher possibly that you can develop into another member of the rotation. Hence you bring in a Tobias Myers or you bring in Connor Pilkington or Peyton Battenfield. You draft a a Tanner Burns, a Logan T. Allen. Um, You know, you bring in a Doug Nikhazy, Tommy Mace, Gavin Williams, who I think is going to move quickly. You bring in these guys into the organization knowing that you have that sort of window, so to speak, with your starting pitching staff, and they're not going to be able to extend all of these guys. Hopefully they'll extend some. And you and I talk about some extensions, and I think that's a great other podcast. I think right now, possibly, Zach Plisak is, is a trade candidate, and I think Jose Tana uh, among the shortstops.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, Yeah, that, that's why people say, like, <clears throat> that's why I hate this whole <clears throat> window of contention it's not really about your window of contention. It's about, okay, how do we win best with this group right now before we transition to the next group? And that's why Cleveland has done what it's done is they've kind of retooled, but because their their best prospects are now coming in the next like year or two, um, it's really not about window of contention. It's just about, I, I guess you could say window with this specific core, but it's, it's more about how do we transition from, this core of Michael Brantley and Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor and, and, and Carl Santana. And how do we get it to the next group, the next wave without, you know, sacrificing too much and not losing and not bottoming out and trying to set it up so we can just, you know, like the Cardinals, the Cardinals are a great example of this. They, they do spend a little bit more than Cleveland as far as payroll is concerned. They have extended a lot of expensive guys, but you know, they're so good at not really having years where they're, they're losing 90 games, you know they're they're a bad year for them is what Cleveland just had 80 and 82. That's a bad year for Cleveland in the last 10 years, right? It's all about how do they shift from core to core? How do they get from the this wave to the next wave without having to tank to to create the next wave? You have a, a stockpile of prospects like they have, so um that's what Tampa Bay has done. Yeah, Tampa, that's why they trade guys early to do it. Yeah. And then Michael also said he was surprised they didn't make more and more trade before the deadline Friday. I, I am too, but I think a lot of people seem to think that Friday they were going to have to make all these moves and be like, oh, if we don't get Matt Olson or Ryan Reynolds or you know whoever on Friday, then we're not going to get them. Remember we said earlier on the podcast, they added a lot of these prospects to the roster because now if they trade them before the lockout hits next week or nine days from now, they can still have value because the other team can protect them. Whereas, like we said, Cantillo and the other guys cannot. And you know that's a good point. I think I think we missed Willie, is that you know, Joey Cantillo didn't get to pitch in twenty twenty because there was no minor league season, and then he didn't get to pitch this year a lot because he was hurt. If they if they were to trade him, you know, he doesn't have a lot of value whether he's protected or unprotected. But I think uh I, I don't and I don't think they're gonna trade Noel, but in theory, if they wanted to, or Jose Tana, um they have trade value because they've played and they broke out. So now it occurs to me in a way that it didn't before, just by how we've talked about this, that Cantillo didn't make sense to protect because why waste that spot on a guy that really doesn't have a much trade value because he's lost the last two years, even though he might get picked in the rule five draft. Um, The other guys you added, like adding a Tobias Myers or, Um, a Quan or a Palacios or a a Noel or Tana, those guys have real trade value. So why not?
1: I think it's what I tried to draw out whenever I was saying, what have you done for me lately? And, you know, that's where it applied to Myers, but it didn't really apply for Cantillo. And that's why you leave Cantillo unprotected and these other guys, you protect them over them. Um, Even like an Adam Scott, you can make a case for him to be protected over Kenzie Noel, but Adam Scott is probably a a limited middle relief left-handed pitcher, which there is obviously value there, Um, but he's also 25 and there's reason to believe that he may be just that and and he missed time this year. So he's another guy that missed a significant portion of the season and didn't get to pitch last year. So there's some belief there that, hey, he's still got some development that needs to be done. Yes, he can do that at the major league level, but who do you risk? A guy who is showed out, and showed, Hey, I've got plenty of upside and I'm only 20 years old. I'm only 21 years old. Are you going to put a 25 year old who's five years ahead on the roster? Um, You know, I Mm -hmm. I think we did the right thing and protected the most valuable players. When I mean value, I think there's value there because they can trade them long-term and they have the highest ceiling compared to the other two guys.
0: Yeah. That, that just kind of, I don't know, hit me, I guess, a little bit more as we talked about it in that question. So um we'll see nine days to go until the impending lockout supposedly we'll see if you know maybe maybe there's a small chance it doesn't happen um but yeah midnight December 1st kind of feels kind of feels like it's coming and hopefully Cleveland has some moves up their sleeve I, I don't think they'll sign a free agent but I do think maybe they'll make a trade before that deadline hits we'll see um hopefully they give us something fun to go out on before all the talk turns to. CBA negotiations. Um, If you haven't had a chance to go to the site, check out this for subscribers, but um, I did do that breakdown as Willie said on on Tobias Myers. I watched a couple starts. I took some video. I tried to identify what I think Cleveland likes in him and um, put together a video and some analysis on that. I did a smaller version of that on Twitter. um, If you're not a subscriber, but if you want to see the whole piece, it's a lot more in depth, a lot more videos. So go to, Go to GuardiansBaseballInsider.com to sign up. Miller, we also had the uh, best curveball. We're continuing our um, best tools in the farm system today. That was the curveball. We've done fastball. We've done hit tool. We've done power. Um, I think tomorrow is plate discipline. So go check those out if you can. Check out uh, Joe Koblitz's end-of-the-season report on the AFL for Tana and Belashios and some pitchers that were there and you can always read around the farm pretty much every day. Although major league baseball is kind of screwing with the scoreboard. So it's hard to update because their uh, off season scoreboard has kind of disappeared. So thank God we have Arthur to check on that stuff because Arthur knows where all the box scores exist. And uh, so when one site doesn't carry him, he knows where the, he knows where to find it if it's not on the normal site. So thanks Arthur. And yeah, uh, Willie, I hear you're thinking about a draft piece here soon, and um, our roster tab is completely updated right now thanks to uh, me and Arthur. Arthur did the whole – Arthur has tracked the entire minor league system on our roster page. So if you go to the roster page on our site, we have every single minor leaguer in the organization um, listed. And I did the 40-man roster. Arthur did the 180. So clearly Arthur did the harder work.
1: Justin, I'll say this. Arthur is an unsung hero for us at the website because he does a lot of work. It goes on scene. But Arthur, I hope you listen this far into the podcast to hear your praises, and I hope you're embarrassed by it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for all the work that you put in behind the scenes
0: and you have for years. Yes, yes. tracking everything and keeping uh, a lot of a lot of schedules and, and always reminding, of, reminding us of, of important stuff, too, that we might otherwise miss. Um, So yeah, the rosters page is all updated right now. And then uh, Willie is going to work on the payroll tab here soon. Uh, So we'll have that updated. And Willie, I think you said you're, you're mulling over a draft piece here soon too. Is that right?
1: Yes. I, I'm thinking more Cleveland specific type of players and and looking at some of them. Um, I do want to run another mock, but I think it's too soon for that. Uh, But I will definitely with the calendar, getting ready to turn into a new year. Isn't that crazy to say? Um, I I am going to start digging in. If you know me, you know, I start digging in in November and start really looking at um, a lot of the players for the next draft class. This is an exciting class. Cleveland will have uh, a comp pick, assuming that they stay with the same, um, the same style that they've gone with in the last years, even with a new CBA coming in, I expect a, a comp pick next year. Uh, so having that first round pick in the mid-teens and then all of a sudden they'll have a pick maybe in the 30s, upper 30s or, or low 40s, uh, going to give them a lot of draft pool to play with. And, you know, I think with a deep class, this organization will be able to capitalize upon that. We'll have a lot of exciting talent to, to be talking about. Next summer, whenever the draft occurs, but uh, I will be throwing some stuff out next month, probably during the lockout. And then I know you and I have also discussed doing some podcasts on each um, minor league affiliate, too, and uh, going over some of the players that we think are going to be at each level. Um, There's going to be some content rolling out, even though winter is about to onset upon all of us.
0: Yeah. Trust me. There's not going to be a lack of content as we showed what in, in the COVID shutdown, how many podcasts did we have on anything? We talked, we did a lot of podcasts, so it won't be hurting for content. And I still think the season gets played in full. We might I just have that. a boring, it might be a very boring December and January as far as um, new news is going on, but we'll have content. So, um, it's been almost an hour and a half. I thought we'd keep it to about an hour, but you know, as we always do, we we'll we go over. So, um, Really appreciate our listeners. We appreciate the questions. Um, (laughs) I know Mark Leffel, one of our subscribers and our our loyal listeners and readers um, and follows on Twitter, had a a follow up question to Jeff Ellis's uh, joke question. He was like, Hey, Hoinsey, instead of trading Mejia and Ramirez in separate deals, why didn't they package them for uh, Christian Yellich? So I love that. That's hilarious. Definitely. uh, Definitely gets it. Um, So yeah, thanks for the questions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Uh you can follow Willie on Twitter at W-I-L-L-H-O-O-99. You can follow me at jail underscore baseball. Um, if you listen this far and you're not following, I'm really confused, but we'd love to have you follow us and, and talk baseball anytime. Um yeah, Willie, thanks for joining me, and I'm sure we'll be back next week. Hopefully, next week's podcast, we're not talking about a pending doom. Hopefully, we're talking about a trade and um some progress on a CBA. Otherwise, You know, it'll be, it might be the eve of impending doom the next time we talk. Absolutely. Sounds good, Justin. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next week.